try new Colossamax, the miracle pill that sheds weight faster than the vibrating belt or the treadmill, keeping those paunchy tummies in check and maintaining a healthy digestion duration. Trust me, folks, you don't want slow intestines. Colossamax speeds up your digestion tenfold. It works so fast you'll think it's magic. Let's hear from Nancy, who dropped 50 pounds of maternity weight after taking Colossamax. Christ, Harry, would you turn it down? I won't hear the oven ding with the tube at that volume. It's interesting, this stuff. I heard we're getting a shipment at the pharmacy tomorrow. They're saying it works like magic. Housewives are gonna go nuts. Get me a beer while you're over there, will ya, Maggie? Here we have Mr. Harry Irwin, a rather unfortunate specimen of a man. He smiles, feeling very good about asking for her to cook for him. He believes it gives her a sense of purpose. What with not being able to give, uh, have a child and all... To no great surprise, he has not been successful. Get you a beer, all right. Why don't you get one yourself? And here's Mrs. Irwin, a short, sweet woman who works the toughest job on the block, wife of Harry Irwin. She likes to be called Margaret if you asked her, or Maggie if you asked her husband. You know, you could use some of this stuff, Maggie. You must be putting on some weight sitting around here all day. Now, don't worry, I would be too. Lucky for you, you've got a husband with special access to the latest pharmaceutical remedies. Lucky, huh? Here you go. Thanks, doll. Say, you keep buttering me up, I'll buy you some of that Chlorzamax. The next morning, Harry rushes off to the office, not even stopping to thank Margo for the breakfast she had cooked. Not that that was unusual, though. Poor Mrs. Irwin remembered how he'd kiss her on the cheek on his way out the door when they were just married, but then years passed, the child never came, and eventually he decided his previous charm was getting a bit too hard to maintain. Hello, Harry. You never called last night. I was beginning to worry. No, this is Mrs. Margaret Irwin. Harry just left for the office. You are... Oh, Margaret! Loretta Hill, of course. I'm a school teacher just down the road. Oh, it's lovely to make your acquaintance, Loretta. And yours as well. Harry's been so helpful since I've started caring for my mother. Not to mention, he's told me so much about you. He talks about you all the time down at the pharmacy. Well, that's so good to hear. I'm glad he's able to help someone with all that overtime he's been working. He is such a hard worker and has such a lovely personality as well. Isn't it just so refreshing when you meet a man that doesn't care so much about looks? Oh, but I've been monopolizing your time. Don't let me keep you. I must have you around sometime. I think we could be such great friends. Don't you? Well, yes, that sounds... lovely. After that interesting phone call, Margot tunes in to the news about Russia's new satellite while doing the chores. Just as the station goes to commercial, try new Colossamax. God damn it. Mrs. Irwin, do you hear that knocking? Good morning. Mrs. Irwin, is it? The man knocking on her door was the tiny with thick horn-rimmed glasses that were falling off his face. What a funny-looking door-to-door salesman. Sorry, we don't need any atlases right now. 
Oh, I, I hate to bother you, but we're just making the rounds of the cul-de-sac to introduce ourselves to the neighborhood. Just moved into town this weekend. Heard it was a good area for families. Oh, the tykes are off at school, otherwise I'd introduce them to you too. But I'm Patrick Fletcher, father, everyman, and very lucky husband to this gal. This is the lady in question, Dorothy. Margot's gaze is about a foot above little Pat's eye level. Dorothy... Oh, hello, Dorothy. Hubba hubba a wooga honk honk. Six feet tall in her heels, with dark brown hair that fell to her shoulders, a smile of unfamiliar kindness, and the eyes the color of wheat fields lit by the late afternoon sun. This woman hadn't said a word to Margaret and held her heart in her hand. Good morning, Dorothy. Good morning. Uh, pardon my husband, he's very eager to meet some new poker buddies. You can just call me Doris. Patty just got transferred to the nuclear power plant outside of town, so we wanted to introduce ourselves. Well, goodness, I'm surprised you have the energy between the move and the new job. Very nice to meet you both. The pleasure is all mine. Wonderful to make your acquaintance, Mrs. Irwin. But please, Mrs. Irwin is what I call my mother-in-law. Call me Margaret. Out of the garage next door emerges a spiffy car with a spiffy driver, Mr. Yates, the urban's next door neighbor. He's a banker with their local branch, and in his spare time likes to maintain his 1953 Buick in his driveway. Wax at hand, hair slicked back, and sleeves rolled up to his biceps. Patrick's attention seems suddenly diverted elsewhere, towards the car, certainly. Oh my, oh, been meaning to compliment Mr. Yates on that nice cut. Car of his. Need to know what he uses on the shaft. Been meaning to fix mine for ages. Why don't I leave you gals alone to chat, hm? And there he goes, off to admire the bumper on Mr. Yates's car. I can admit, it's certainly a sight to behold. Sure thing, honey, you go ahead. I'd love to compliment Mrs. Irwin on her drapery. We're still looking for some for the house, you see. Oh, um... Doris, won't you come in for a cup of coffee? Smells like spick and span. You must have just been cleaning. I hate to intrude. Not at all. Please make yourself comfortable. So, Margaret, I suppose there's a Mr. Irwin? Oh, yes. He works at Willard's Pharmacy downtown. Nine to fives, you know the drill. He leaves you alone all day. Oh, you must be terribly bored. Oh, I keep busy. Mostly cleaning. It's hard to socialize when all the other women are busy taking care of their children, you know? Ah, no children? No, we couldn't conceive. Too bad, though, because that baby would be less of a mess than he is, am I right? (laughs) Ah, men don't have a thought inside their brains, do they? But us women are resourceful, right? We sure can entertain ourselves, can't we, Margot? Can I call you Margot? No one has ever called me that before. I'd like that, Doris. Doris! He's got the Skylark! A a 53 Buick Roadmaster! The Skylark, Doris! (laughs) I better be getting along now that Patty's had his fun. Oh, got a pen? Give me a bell sometime, would you? I'd love to have you join the sewing circle. Patty and I would love to have guests for dinner sometime, too. Oh, yes, of course. Thank you. The Fletchers, Rhode Island 4, 
six eight five four no it's six three five four maybe if her hand wasn't shaking margaret would have been able to read it more clearly and she would have realized that doris's sewing circle had nothing to do with a needle and thread but as it stood she was quite confused about what she was feeling she hadn't wanted to be friends with a woman this badly since high school mr irwin came home early they closed down the pharmacy storefront to receive their shipment, presumably. Margaret was set to, p- to preparing supper, and the makings were fighting with her. Chicken still frozen, veggies gone bad, a whole lot of wasted time piling up. Mr. Irwin wordlessly made his nightly march to the fridge for a beer. Just as he was about to open the door, he paused, reading the note magnetized to the fridge. The Fletchers? Uh-huh. Lovely couple. They just moved in on the other side of the cul-de-sac. Introduce themselves while you were off. Is that so? Tell you what, Maggie. Why don't we call them up? Give you a break from cooking for a night and gives me a break from, well, your cooking. Harry, we can't just invite ourselves over for dinner. It's unseemly and impolite. Sure we can. You just tell them I missed them this morning and I'd like to make up for it. If they're the hospitable type, they'll invite us over themselves. But Harry, I... Just try it. Why, hello, Margot. It is Margot, right? Oh, yes, that's me. Well, Herr... Mr. Irwin just arrived home from work and was terribly sorry he missed you stopping by earlier and would like to make it up to you. Well, that sounds like a lovely idea. In fact, why don't the two of you come around for supper tonight? It's almost all ready, and I know we'd both be delighted to see you again. If it's not too much trouble, that sounds like a wonderful idea, doesn't it, dear? We'll be over shortly. Bye now. After 15 hurried minutes of throwing on some clothes appropriate for a dinner party and grabbing a suitable bottle of wine, the Irwins arrive at the Fletchers. Margaret extends her hand towards the knocker when Mr. Irwin grabs her wrist. Harry, what's the matter? Now, don't you forget, Maggie. It's Mr. Irwin to you. I don't want another emasculating charade like the pharmacy cocktail party. Uh, pardon? Is what most people would say, but Margaret doesn't respond, for obvious reasons. As he releases his grip on her wrist, she daintily sounds the knocker. The door opens, and a set of sparkling eyes peers through the crack. Hello there. (laughs) Are your parents home? The door opens all the way to a little girl in a cream-colored fisherman sweater, a red wool skirt, and a forest green stockings. Mom is in the living room, and Pop is in the kitchen. They told me you were coming. The Fletcher's home was aglow with a soft orange lighting and the smell of fresh-baked bread floating through every room. Leaving her shoes at the door, Margaret's eyes panned around the dark wood-paneled hallway. Doris's home was, cozy, was a cozy one, full of colors she'd swear she had never seen before. Lured into the living room by the sound of a child's laughter and Doris's cooing voice, Mr. Irwin and Margaret passed under the curved archway. <laughs> there she was. Doris sat at a red velvet love seat an embroidery hoop sitting next to her. Laughing and playing with her son, she hoisted him in the air and bounced him around, much to his delight, Margaret's heart seeming to swell at the sight and sound. What a lovely laugh. You mean the kid? Uh, yes, of course. <laughs> You're right. Cute little ankle biter, isn't he? Oh, Margo, I didn't hear you come in. Welcome. At this, Doris looked up, catching Margaret's eyes again. Margot found herself getting lost in the rich amber, noticing every dot and sparkle. Why, thank you, Doris. I... Good evening, Mrs. Fletcher. 
The glint in her eyes that Margot was so entranced by dulled when, when Doris met Mr. Irwin's gaze. As she turned to look at Margot, though, it seemed to return. Well, like I said, welcome, welcome to you both. Run along now, Stephen. Go see if Papa wants some help in the kitchen. As he ran past Margaret giggling, she couldn't help but notice that he looked nothing like her older sister. In fact, neither of the two seemed to bear any resemblance to Patrick or Doris. Upon Stephen's head was a, lay a mop of blonde curls, contrasting his sister's pitch-black braids. Margot? It was at this point that Margaret realized that she hadn't spoken in ten seconds. Oh, well, here we brought some cherry wine. Mr. Irwin and I wanted to thank you for inviting us over. Thank you kindly for the wine, Margo. Would you please follow me and have a seat? Doris leads the way to the dining room, but Mr. Irwin stops with Margaret before entering. Margo? Margaret met his eyes, seeing only perplexity in his judgmental stare. It's only a nickname, Harry. Really, it's not a big deal. Well, I prefer Maggie, anyhow. The couple enters the dining room and sits down with Margot facing Doris, who was helping Patricia spread her napkin on her lap. Mr. Fletcher was entering the room with Stephen at his heels, carrying a dish of potatoes, peppers, and Italian sausage that had been roasting in the oven. The smell of oregano, pepper, and pork wafts through the room. He beamed at them as he set the dish on the table and started wiping his hands with a cloth. Sorry to keep you all waiting, but figured you aren't the kind who want raw sausage now, are you? <laughs> penis joke. You'd be right. Thank you very much. Thank you for inviting us over so suddenly. It smells delicious. Oh, we're happy to have you. Dig in. Mr. Irwin, nice to meet you. Sorry we missed you earlier. Well, sure. It's nice to meet some more guys in the neighborhood. Me, I tend to pal around with the folks from the pharmacy, but it's great to meet some people so nearby. Sure. Uh, what's your role there, if I may ask? Well, I'm a pharmacist. I mostly stay behind the counter and mix up medicines. We actually just got a new shipment today, the stuff called Chlorzinax. I think I've heard some ads for it on the radio. Sounds like some fake magic mumbo-jumbo. What's it supposed to do? Supposedly, it's a diet pill and is intended to increase gut speed and metabolism. Birds these days are swearing by it to lose weight. Of course, it got its start in the big city pharmacies and took its sweet time getting out here. But good thing it came. I was telling my wife just the other day, well, finally, you could use some of that stuff, couldn't you? <laughs> Oh, good lord. Did he really just say that? Margaret's cheeks flushed in embarrassment. The silence was palpable. Miss Margaret is so pretty. I don't think you any need any cormimax, corskamax. Anywho, this dish is delicious, darling. Thank you for cooking. Yes, it's great. <laughs> you know, I couldn't help but notice, Mr. Fletcher. Do you always... Do the cooking around here? Hmm. Uh, well, I suppose not. I think we share in it equally, don't we, dearest? I'd say so. The kids are great about asking to help, doing dishes and measuring out ingredients and whatnot. Huh. Interesting. Honestly, I'm surprised a busy man such as yourself has the energy after work to cook for yourself, too. I would think that with your wife at home, she'd think it right to cook for you. I don't believe you're insinuating that my wife's place is in the kitchen, are you, Mr. Irwin? Is it not? I mean, that's what I expect from Maggie, and she knows it. Does her good to keep her busy, I'd say. I have my job, and she has hers, right? Um, my favorite food that Papa cooks are his apple cakes. They're so yummy! 
cakes. What else you got? A frilly apron to throw on while you're baking? <laughs> I, for one, think you'd look quite nice in an apron, sweetheart. <laughs> think you'll wear some lipstick too, Mr. Fletcher? Some pearls, maybe? <laughs> Mr. Fletcher, I... Doris, please, allow me. Mr. Irwin, I'll have you know that I'm not quite appreciating this sense of humor of yours, and I will not tolerate it. I'll remind you that you were in our household, and perhaps we operate a bit differently around here. My children are present, and I won't have them learning this particular ideology. You're also aware, I assume, that it is 1957, and the times are changing. I regret that a dinner cooked by a man on a marriage of equals has been such a culture shock to you, but perhaps your mindset could do with catching up to the times, hmm? Mr. Irwin was silenced, a rarity and a blessing. Patrick took a long pause and gave Doris a knowing look before continuing. Now, tell me, Mr. Irwin, did you serve in the Second World War? Why, yes, of course. I was in France for a Fantastic. while. Fantastic. I was as well. Would you join me for a game of cards and a little heart-to-heart? I bounced around a bit. Maybe we know some of the same people. Well, I suppose so. Why not? What's your poison? Let's do a round of poker. Settle this like men. Although I'll warn you, I'm quite the card shark. You might be surprised. I think I have a few things to teach you. When Mr. Fletcher mercifully pulled Mr. Irwin out of the room, it seemed Margot could finally breathe again. Doris turned to her, brows knit in a look of subtle concern. Mama, may I be excused, please? And me also, too, also. Of course. And Patricia, be a doll and get yourself and your brother a cookie for dessert. The kids scampered off, presumably to indulge themselves in a slightly more than their allotted cookie allowance, followed perhaps by a dive into the toy bin. The women were alone now, with a bottle of cherry wine and a couple glasses that were down to their last dregs. Another glass? Please. After Doris poured them both over, Margot's eyes followed Doris's hand as she dabbed her finger on the spilled droplet, gently placing it in her mouth. I figure you're wondering about the children. Perhaps. I uh, couldn't help but notice that they don't take after either you or Patty. Well, I'd hope not. They are adopted, after all. Adopted? Oh, how wonderful. Yes, they're wonderful kids, those two. Suppose you and I have that in common, then. Patty and I couldn't have our own, either. A part of Margot suspected Doris and Patrick's reasons to be just a bit different than their own, but couldn't place exactly why. In any case, she had never been with such a strong partnership before. It perplexed her. In all her life, she'd never dreamed it was possible to be so progressive, to even find someone close to an equal, compassionate partner, especially in such a small town. She pictured how her own mother had turned up her nose at the idea of raising children that weren't her own. The countless times her father had hit her mother for speaking over him. Poor Margot had seen Mr. Irwin as a breath of fresh air. Can you imagine? A little after-dinner entertainment, hmm? What's it got to do? What's it got to do with magic? This spell that you've got me under I chose to test your charms 
eyes only for you. Eyes only for you, my darling. If it's magic, it's natural to me. I'll float into your arms. You look like you know the words. Why don't you sing along? Oh, singing isn't really for me. I don't. And I'll sing for you. I'm enchanted by you. Oh, my love. I want to say I adore you. faded. Margaret looks down and relays their fingers head intertwined and curled around each other. Doris follows her line of sight and retracts her hand. Oh, pardon me. No, no, it's all fine. It's all just fine. Margaret takes a generous sip of her wine. I don't blame her. Is... is the fact that you are unable to bear children something that husband of yours cares so much about? Well... About that, I uh, may have misled Mr. Irwin slightly on that point. How do you mean? I may or may not have started the habit of tracking my monthlies. I try to keep my distance during the time that I may be the most likely to bear his children. <laughs> oh, that's rich! You are wickedly intelligent, Margot. Is it? It isn't exactly hard to do. Whenever we make love or... Rather, whatever he thinks he's doing with me, his ugly mug looks like an electrical outlet. (laughs) (laughs) In other delightful news, I believe my husband should be beating yours in poker right about now. (laughs) It'll do him good, I think. She was everywhere Margot looked, at the supermarket, in a buttoned-up coat with a scarf wrapped around her head and tied neatly under her chin. There she was at the park, feeding the ducks with her children. Then again, getting her gas tank filled up just one pump over. Maybe she was really there, but maybe Margot was just one more incident away from checking herself into the local mental institution. But then again, there were still times that... Hello, Margot! Oh, hello, Doris. Sometimes she'd see her and wave with a wide, sparkling smile. Other times it was just Margaret who noticed the other. She hoped Doris didn't catch her staring. Good evening, Doris. I just wanted to return this Tupperware you left at my house the other night. Well, thank you, Margot. I didn't recall I'd left one. Must have had too much wine. And if Margot kept a hidden calendar counting down the days until it would be appropriate to request something of her neighbor again, well, it's none of my business. Oh, hello, Doris. I hope I haven't come at an inopportune time. Would it be too much of a bother to borrow a cup of your garden? My sugar has just never looked quite so orderly as yours. How do you do it? Oh, I... I mean, might I borrow a cup of sugar? I only meant to compliment you on your garden. I guess I got 
sidetracked. <laughs> One night, Mr. Irwin comes home late from work, a sign they both usually acknowledge wordlessly that he had been visiting his mistress. Tonight, Margaret did not have dinner ready for him. Hello, Maggie. Hello. You're home late. Hmm. Must have lost track of time. I was helping a customer. Oh, I bet you were helping her all right. Excuse me? Oh, come off it, Harry. I'm not as dense as you think I am. I don't know what you're talking about. Why, you fast son of a bitch. I know about Loretta. What? The blonde. I know you're sleeping with her. Christ, Maggie. Loretta is a fine gal. She's a school teacher, and I'll have you know her mother is ill. She comes by the pharmacy to pick up her mother's prescriptions. Well, gee, she sounds like a perfect angel, unmarried too. I'll bet you slip her a pack of Philip Morris's for free whenever she comes in. <laughs> oh, never mind. I'm sure she's paying somehow. Don't you go tarnishing her reputation and throwing insults her way just because you're jealous. Jealous? What the hell is there for me to be green about? Here, Mr. Irwin falling silent was less of a blessing. So you admit it, then. Well, it's not my fault that you don't put out, Maggie. Put out? You expect me to wait on you hand and foot without any promise of respect in return. Well, you must need something to do since you won't give me a child. What the hell do you do around here all day? Eat corn nuts? Lays on the couch reading books and getting fat? You should be grateful I give you a sense of purpose. But since you don't want to follow that, you fell out of love with me. Good lord, you're obtuse, Harry. I have never loved you. How could I when you treat me like dog shit? Harry storms over to Margaret and grabs her by the arm, pulling her up from the couch. You bitch. What do I gotta do to make you behave again? Get bent, Harry. She stomps on his foot, releasing the grip on her arm. Ah! Ah! She attempted to flee the scene, pacing over to the kitchen. She assumed he'd give up in the face of her determination, but he didn't. And that's when she became afraid. His footsteps boomed towards her at a hurried pace. He grabbed her by the shoulders, turned her to face him, and... I don't really know why you think this will redeem you. Oh, sit on it, Maggie. Don't call me Maggie. Margaret pushes him aside and discreetly pockets the telephone number note hanging on the fridge by a magnet, fleeing upstairs. What's this? Chlorosamax, laxative and fiber supplement, magnesium citrate, 100 milligrams, 7 pill supply, 1 week treatment. It isn't magic at all. It's a laxative. A damned laxative. Swallow these pills, crap your brains out, and then maybe you'll have a waist as trim as Loretta's baby. Oh god, what do I do? Who do I tell? It was as if an invisible string pulled Margot to the phone on her nightstand. Margot was surprised by by how taut it was, like a violin string. She looks shaken as she fishes the paper with Doris's phone number out from under her pillow. Doris loves the violin. Dorothy. Dorothy Fletcher. What could she even say? Her marriage is so perfect. Margot can keep telling herself that all she likes, but I'm pleased to report that her finger hasn't moved from the first number. I'm worried that Mr. Irwin will listen in on the party line. 
but he's so glued to the television set downstairs. Maybe I have a chance. This is the last time I wash him off me. What time is it? Oh my, the sun is up. Marg was not particularly vexed that she'd slept in or by the sun striking her eyes. It was her first reprieve in months from the seven dreadful alarms Mr. Irwin would set every morning he'd get himself up. I suppose he must have slept on the couch then. Here's to hoping he goes to visit Miss Loretta tonight. To no one's surprise, he'd already called and was expecting a 5.30pm. Poor girl, even if she does have him wrapped around her finger. Hello? Oh, Margo, honey, I heard everything last night. You... you what? I came over last night to drop off those gardening shares you wanted to borrow. I heard it all through the door. Oh, Doris, I'm so sorry. Don't you dare apologize. You shouldn't. Let's visit the park today. The breeze will do you some good, I think. I can be over there in two shakes. Where's Patty? Oh, he's just getting some rest. He only got home from work around six this morning. The birds were even chirping by then. Jeepers. Doris, I... Don't worry about telling me, Marco. I told you. I overheard everything. (laughs) And even after all of that... I found those damned pills on my nightstand. I knew you were unhappy and unsafe with him when we met. I remember I asked you how you felt being left alone by your husband all day, and you practically winced at his name. It only got clearer when you two came over for dinner. It took Patty and my combined efforts not to toss him out on the street right then and there, you know. Margo, I wish I could make the pain go away. Doris reaches out to cup her face, but Margo audibly flies <laughs> away, which is just making my job so much more difficult. Margo wishes she could tell her that, her, in fact, she has made the pain so much more bearable, and even though she very well could have just said those words aloud, she did not. Nevertheless, she knew what she had to do, and by God, it was going to be beautiful. She was already set to work in the morning while Mr. Irwin was out, presumably still with Loretta. Indeed he was, but it couldn't have been more obvious when he practically fell through the door, unshaven, smelling of perfume, his face perked up with the scent of fantastic breakfast spread that Margaret had prepared. Oh, good morning, darling. Did you lock yourself in the pharmacy overnight? <laughs> Mag- Maggie, what? Oh, please, Harry, why don't you sit down at the table? I've already eaten and I was about to pop over to the Fletchers. I'll bring you a platter. Well, you're quite chipper this morning. Seems like you finally come around, huh? Margaret sits down a big plate, full plate. Four pancakes, an omelette, 
five sausage links, and a tall mug of coffee with cream. Enjoy, sweetheart. Mwah. Margo threw her coat on and headed out the door. Before leaving the driveway, she dropped the contents of her clutched fist in the metal trash can. The empty packaging for a seven-day treatment of Clorosamax. Margo, how are you doing this morning, honey? May I come in, Doris? Look at your smile. Of course, please come in. So, you wanted to talk? Her cheeks hotter than magma, her heart beating out of her chest, Margo struggled for words. I, uh, Doris, there's something I... I think I've got a feeling about what you're gonna say, Margo. You... you what? I know what's going on. I see the way you look at me, and I know that holding my hand in the car the other day was more than just a friendly gesture. I'm so sorry, Doris. I didn't mean to. I would never want to get between you and Patty. I'm not a homewrecker, I swear it. I'm, I'm, I'm sorry, Doris. I'm sorry. <laughs> what are you apologizing for, hon? I've made you uncomfortable because I'm fond of you. I understand that we're just... We're just neighbors. <laughs> just friends. Marco, you've got it all wrong, please. Now, when you bring Tupperware back over, you'll probably just leave it at the front stoop rather than speak to me. And I'm going to have a heart attack driving past your home, and I can never look you in the eyes again, and you'll never give me the time of day, and we'll take different routes to the grocery store just to avoid my line of sight, and Patty will wonder why Mr. Irwin doesn't show up to poker nights anymore, and it's all my fault. It's all my... ruined. It's all my fault. Marco, please. Please slow down. Marco, I'm not uncomfortable with you at all. Quite the opposite. Hun, Patty knows too. He what? Oh, no, no, I'm sorry. I suppose that wasn't the best way to say that. What I mean to say is that he's... Well, he's a friend of Dorothy. I understand that. He's more than your friend. I mean, I'm intruding on your marriage, for God's sake. No, Marco. No, Marco. He is a friend. Of Dorothy? He... Wait. Oh. Oh. <laughs> yes, Margot. I think, um... I have some explaining to do. Patty and I grew up together back in Massachusetts. We were next-door neighbors, friends practically from birth. My folks didn't take too kindly to me paling around with a boy instead of finding myself a nice group of girls to goof around with, and likewise his parents worried that by being around me he'd grow up to be effeminate and homosexual. Well, as we know, that wasn't much in their control, and he learned he was the latter anyway in high school. Same as me. That must have been terrifying. Oh, Margot. Oh, Margot, I'm so proud of you for finally coming into your own. But if you're to join me in this venture, you have to understand our history, the people who came before us. It's not easy. It's exactly as you said. It's terrifying trying to hide who we are while remaining happy and loving who we love. It's heartbreaking at times. Try as we may to look out for each other, we've seen lives and loves lost never to be seen or heard from again. It's a constant battle. The war certainly didn't make that battle easier for any of us. Patty was drafted at the end of high school, and before he left we made a pact to marry and allow each other that happiness under a facade that would keep us safe if he came back alive. Margot sat in silence, taking in all that Doris had opened up to her. Walking over to a bookcase in the living room, Doris pulled out a copy of Tolstoy's War and Peace, 
a 16-ton brick that no one would ever willfully read cover to cover. Flipping about two-thirds to the point of the novel, she pulled out a small photograph of a man in uniform. He had deep brown eyes, glowing tan skin, a soft smile, and a swoop of black hair turned mahogany from the, in, from the sepia tone of the photograph. That's Tommy, 435th Army Air Force Unit. Tommy was a pilot, and Patrick was an engineer. Patty still writes to him back in the Philippines. She held out the photo for Margot to see. The back, yellowed with age, read in scribbly cursive, Chin up, soldier, to Patty with love. So he... So you... You both... Margot, I adore you. You haven't been reading me wrong at all. In fact, I thought you could tell. It's been all I could not to whisk you away from that awful husband of yours, wrap you up in an afghan and feed you fresh baked cookies. You are absolutely enchanting, and you deserve better. I didn't want to be presumptive, or, or forward, or... But me neither. Taurus, had you said the word, I would have dropped Mr... I would have dropped Harry and been at your doorstep. I adore you, Doris. Ha-ha! Finally! They gaze into each other's eyes for an eternity. Completely awestruck, Doris was just stunned as Margot was. Gaining her confidence, Margot continues with her proclamation. When I first met you, I didn't know what I was feeling. It hit me like a train. I felt like I was in grade school again. <laughs> I mean, can you blame me? How was I supposed to know that a deity had moved in down the street from me? Doris blushes profusely, and a smile spreads across her face. Atta girl, Margot, giving her a taste of her own medicine. So, just to be clear, Patrick knows? Yes. And he's okay with it? Yes. Are you sure? Margot, would you just kiss me already? Melting into each other, both Doris and Margot were positively electrified. To Margot, Doris's embrace was scary and liberating, but to her, Doris was safe, was home, was everything lovely. The TV had been left on in Doris's living room at a low volume. Margot sat trembling at the red velvet couch as Doris paced to the window, gazing outside at the fall leaves, blushing with them. She closed the drapes and paused with her hand in the TV cabinet. Try new colossal. Well, that was just lovely. But what happened to Mr. Irwin, you may ask? Why, hello, Harry. How lovely it is to see you again. Ah, Loretta, you're looking beautiful as ever. <laughs> 